This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly is starting right now. In my opinion, it's the most important thing. It's something that gets pushed aside and what people need to realize and what most leaders need to understand is that you're going to have a team culture either way. It's either going to be a haphazard conglomeration of everybody's beliefs, actions, and rituals that come together over the, over the years, or it can be by design. Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly and I've got an exciting show set up for you. And first, I just want to remind you that we will be at the International Association of Emergency Managers Conference uh, next week in Long Beach. I'm speaking on the 12th to the college group there. Excited about that. And then we'll be at the booth 733 at Titan HST booth. So stop by and visit us and say hi and chit chat about what's going on. And if you could, I would love you guys if you could share this uh, podcast with your friends and your cohorts and those that are in the industry. I think that... Uh, I think that growing this community is uh, it's a lot of fun and I'd love to hear from all different sorts of things. So uh, today we're going to be talking to Brent Gleason, who is a Navy SEAL, and he talks a lot about the dynamic leadership and transformational leadership and dynamic leadership. So we're gonna, today we're going to talk about how to lead a dynamic team. So here's Brent. Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly, and today our guest is Brent Gleason, a former Navy SEAL, a writer on leadership, a speaker on leadership, and we're going to talk about developing teams and, and what that looks like uh, for emergency management. Brent, welcome to the show. No, thank you so much. Uh, really happy to be here. So Brent, tell me, I mean, a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got involved in this whole leadership thing, and I guess it starts back with uh, the military time, right? Uh, yes, it does. It's, it's been a, a lifelong journey, as you can imagine, uh, for, as it is for all of us. Um, I grew up in Dallas, um, went to uh, SMU for undergrad, um, got degrees in finance and economics, and then actually worked for a year as a financial analyst uh, for an investment firm. But I had a good buddy in college who was planning on joining the Navy and attempting to go into the Navy SEAL training program pipeline. And we got uh, more and more involved and I got really intrigued with that journey and that path and giving to something bigger than oneself. And uh, after a year of working in the finance sector, I quit my job and he and I joined the Navy. And this was ironically just before 9-11. So we came out here to San Diego, where you, where you start all of your training, and out of about 250 students, 23 of us graduated, and then ironically, uh, right after we graduated from the first six months, the, the, the training pipeline is 18 months, but uh, after you graduate the first six months, which is called BUDS, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition Seal, um, a few days after we graduated was 9-11. So that sort of transformed the entire mindset and culture of not only special operations, but the military as a whole. And uh, we'll get into how that transformed the mindset of our uh, leadership and how we approach leadership in the special operations community. But I went on to finish advanced training, went to SEAL Team 5, 
ended up being the first uh, SEAL task unit deployed to Iraq in 2003 of uh, March. So just after we had taken Baghdad, um, they deployed us, a task unit from SEAL Team 5 of, of about 30 operators to perform what we call capture or kill missions. We were hunting down the guys on the deck of cards, the blacklist, other various insurgent faction leaders. And that's where I really started to obviously cut my teeth as uh, an experienced combat SEAL. But then later on, and we can get into more detail later, but I applied a lot of those principles that I learned in SEAL training and applied in combat to how you can really build high performance teams of disciplined, resilient people all working towards a singular goal aligned with a singular mission narrative and how that applies to the financial health of a business organization or first responders or any basically civilian industry and how we can talk about concepts of trust, accountability, discipline, and team unity to align a team to achieve goals that are seemingly impossible. Yeah, I think that's really key to a lot of what, as far as the leadership goes and emergency management. I wrote a piece on my blog and it's uh, emergency managers, are we managers or leaders? And I kind of went back and forth about it. And I actually had a guy who, um, he, he uh, sent me a message and he was like, oh, why are we rehashing this old thing? They're the same thing. And yeah. I and, and and you know, right, you've been in the military yeah. where we have true leaders that could be, you know, like a E3, E4. And you have a guy who's a chief who's nothing but more than just a manager and a, and a body and that is kind of useless. You know, and I tried to get that across, but I think most guys that are in the military, especially those of us that are, you know, in the Navy, when things start happening, we always look towards those that are um, our leaders to lead us. And how did that transition for you from your buds time to your actual combat time and then out into the real world? Well, it's it's a good question and a topic that I actually uh, speak and write a lot on is the difference between those two disciplines of leadership and management. And, um, you know, before we go any further, I, I forgot, I should have mentioned this earlier, but thank you for your service. Uh, much appreciated. And it's interesting. It, it's, it's a little bit different in the military, obviously, but when I talk about the, the variance between those two disciplines of leadership and management, the, the definitions for most organizations, both whether they be first responder organizations, the military or business organizations across the globe, those definitions are starting to take a dramatic shift because quite frankly, we live in a new post 9-11, 21st century reality where change and transformation is almost a constant reality. And therefore, leadership is taking on a whole new meaning. And leaders really need to understand, again, the, the things that you and I learn in the military and the first responders understand is you need to understand how to lead teams in very dynamic, constantly changing environments. And very much is the same for today's global business environment. It, uh, it, it means something totally different. So simply put, leadership in today's modern reality is really about getting back to the basics of clearly defining uh, and communicating a very distinct mission for the organization. What is our vision? What are we supposed to look like in a year, two years, five years? And emotionally connecting people to that cause and giving them the tools and resources to understand how they can work backwards towards achieving that vision collectively as a whole. So really defining that singular mission narrative. One of the things that I always equate to from the, the correlation between the business world and 
the, the post 9-11 military is if you think about it, and you know this, we essentially entered these conflicts after 9-11 as a slower moving, very hierarchical, old school, top down command and control 20th century organization. And that's not just special operations, that's just military wide. Right. And we quickly realized that to move and communicate at the speed these wars would require, we had to transform our mindsets, we had to transform our structures and our cultures to fight a more dangerous and very decentralized enemy. And therefore we had to become more decentralized in the way we lead and in the way we structure our organizations. And the same thing applies in today's more modern uh, business environment. There's a military acronym I'm sure you've heard before called VUCA, V-U-C-A, which refers to the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environments that we operate in. But ironically, that military acronym is now widely used in the global business community, referring to, quite frankly, the same thing. Every business organization across the globe right now is being disrupted by globalization, emerging technologies, the seemingly endless array of uh, job opportunities now, which is a good thing. Unemployment's at a very low rate at 4.4%, but ironically, and this affects pretty much every industry, uh, employee disengagement is at a whopping 67%. Mm. <laughs> so. There's a there's a problem and an opportunity out there, and that's not just in business. That's in in in, in all organizations. Uh, there's a there's a problem and an opportunity where leaders and managers need to understand how to better define and manage culture. Right. The most high performing organizations in the military and in the civilian world are defined so because primarily they define, manage, and protect an organizational culture, and that culture is specifically aligned with their strategic vision. I do see this a lot, even today, uh, with just recruiting into to law enforcement. Uh, you, yep. you see that there's been a long time since you've had recruiters going out to all the, all the fairs and stuff trying to get people to come in. Because I think that there's a disconnect sometimes between what the street cops feel and what the um, leadership feels. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a guy from LAPD yep. the other day, and he feels that they're being hung out to dry. The the line officers are being hung out to dry. And it's going to be hard to keep uh, good officers in, and it's going to be hard to recruit good officers in uh, with that. And this seems to be a problem. And I think, again, there we go back, uh, management and leadership, right? Yep. Because you see that the political side of it is that this bureaucracy wants to manage issues and not lead men and women into virtually combat, right? I mean, especially today yep. with yep. you know the whole thing that happened in Vegas the other day. This is what they're they're on the line for. So it's kind of an interesting that you bring up that dynamic with business as well. Well, it, you're right. It it totally applies in in every environment uh, when you have that those vertical and horizontal silos, whether they be structural silos or behavioral silos the people on the front lines will feel let, like they're left out to dry. They'll feel like they're just pawns in a, in a big scheme that they're not part of. Um, and they they don't feel an, a, a, an engagement and a connection to senior leadership. And there's and that creates a total misalignment in what the what any organization, especially if you think about first responders or police force or or military, they don't feel a connection to a singular vision of what they're trying to accomplish. They feel like they're being managed and quite frankly, maybe not well mm -hmm. and not and not truly led to your point. They're not being leaded into battle, so to speak, to use <laughs> to use military vernacular. And, and that doesn't create alignment. 
and that doesn't create a team of unified people that want to uh, follow you into battle. And, and that's one of the biggest problems with with uh, that type of disconnect is it, it, it almost guarantees in some way, not to sound dramatic, but it almost guarantees mission failure or at least falling well significant, significantly short of the goals of what you're trying to achieve. Just like anything else, you know, in, in emergency management uh, and first response, there are times when you sit around and you're just doing busy work. You're cleaning up, you're doing this um, in the sense of emergency managers. You know, you're kind of redoing plans, looking at plans. And then the big one hits, the large scale earthquake or the big fire or the tornado or the hurricanes like we just had. Or how do you lead from the, the ordinary to the extraordinary in, in a uh, fast fashion? I like the way you put that, uh, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. That's great. I might even use that at some point, but I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's an excellent point, and I actually touch on that in uh, the book that I have coming out in February, is whether it's emergency management, business, military, any industry, it's not all glamorous. You know, we talk a lot about employee or team engagement and making sure that everybody's connected to the cause and feeling empowered and, you know, like they're, they're understanding that their work has a direct correlation to something bigger than themselves. And that's especially true with today's younger workforce, with the millennials, with the multi-generational workforces. It's very important to help them understand how everything they do connects to uh, the greater good and connects to the mission of the organization. I was asked, uh, and this kind of helps kind of outline the answer to to your question, I was asked to uh, come in and speak and consult with a, a global um, uh, defense and aerospace company. And one of the things they wanted to do was they were putting together a team of people that were going to, they were basically glorified uh, strategic HR managers within the organization, but one of their newest missions within the company was to make sure that everybody really understood how their work helped the warfighter on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. So you might, if you're in research and development and engineering, you're probably going to have a pretty good understanding of how your work applies to helping our warfighters on the battlefield. But if you're in finance, if you're in you know, <laughs> accounting or some other visions of the organization where you're doing most of the time, you know, a lot of mundane work, you're going to get in the weeds like we all do with every job, I, you know, regardless of what it is. Sometimes we lose sight of how powerful every action we take and every project we complete and every task we do really is contributing to the greater good of the entire organization and what we're trying to accomplish. So the, the one team, one fight mentality, especially like we have in emergency management like we have in the military. Um, sometimes it's easier to articulate that in those types of situations because you know we know it's very clear what our mission and vision are. And in a lot of organizations, it's, it's um, uh, sometimes harder to articulate, but in my, in my, from my perspective, that's one of the leader's most important roles is to really continually tell that story, both formally and informally, to the people on the team. So it's a constant communication to everybody about how everything they do aligns with the big vision, the big mission, everything they're trying to accomplish. I write about that in the book. I call it purposeful storytelling. Hmm. There's a lot of different strategies that you can use, but one of them is sort of a more informal way of not just communicating it once a month through a team-wide email or a quarterly meeting. You know, It's finding an opportunity almost every single day, whether it's 
through a formal communication in a meeting or at the water cooler, you know, find a casual way to tell that story. Hey, you know what? You know, Johnny did this and I know it sounds kind of mundane or whatever, but this is how that mundane piece of work that he did connected to the bigger cause and the greater good of what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And when you can do that almost regularly every single day, it keeps people aligned and it keeps them energized uh, because, you know, the, the long term sort of mundane activities that we do day in and day out can create what I call you know, change battle fatigue and it can get people sort of disconnected from from their jobs and from remembering how important everything they do is. And that's that's a great that's one of the most important functions of a leader is to remind people of that every single day. When I was a corpsman with the Marine Corps, my Marines, when they would get in trouble is when they were, they were down and, and there was really nothing going on and they were trying to find things to do, you know, so that's always a dangerous, uh, yeah. a dangerous time for people. <laughs> That's when they start doing silly things, you know? Basically, what you're saying here, too, is by doing this uh, purposeful storytelling, you're building a culture as well. And and how how important is culture when it comes to, to leading? The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com. emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Basically, what you're saying here, too, is by doing this uh, purposeful storytelling, you're building a culture as well. And and how how important is culture when it comes to, to leading? In my opinion, it's the most important thing. It's something that gets pushed aside. And what people need to realize and what most leaders need to understand is that you're going to have a team culture either way. It's either going to be a haphazard conglomeration of everybody's beliefs, actions, and rituals that come together over the over the years, or it can be by design. And my theories are that all high-performance teams or organizations in any environment, whatever it is, whether it's sports, business, military, emergency management, high-performance teams and great leaders do not leave those things to chance. They design a culture, they build a culture, they manage that culture and protect it through proper recruiting and bringing people into the culture that believe and share in the same values. And that culture is aligned with a very specific vision and strategy. 
most organizations out there or teams, what have you, uh, that, that don't succeed in large part is because their, their organizational or team culture does not align with what they're trying to achieve. But And that's one thing that the Marine Corps does very well. We do that very well in the SEAL teams. It's one of the core fundamentals of how we recruit and retain great talent is because we have a very distinct culture, as does the Marine Corps. And we bring people in who fit that culture. That doesn't mean we're not diverse. We have very diverse people, just like we do in the Marine Corps. But in large part, most of those people are, are what you might call a culture fit, to use sort of a cliche term. But it's managing culture, especially in today's environment, and what I call either the post-9-11, we're talking about the military, but, or the 21st century reality of most organizations, managing culture is the most important thing that leaders have to do. Defining it, managing it, protecting it, aligning it with the strategy. And a lot of times, and, and this in large part has, has a lot to do with the, you know, the 2008 recession and people managing out of fear and prioritizing other more easily managed and quantifiable metrics um, to understanding how they can you know, grow their business or how they can uh, rebuild their team. These things are not softer side management strategies, right. regardless of what environment you're in. They, are, they have a quantifiable and measurable effect of the success of any organization. I'm going to butcher this quote, but I read something somewhere along the lines of uh, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it, it totally is. And I, I think I contribute to Forbes and to Inc. And I, I, I think one of my fellow contributors titled one of their pieces, almost something along the lines of that. But it's it's very true. And I know this from not from all my successes, but from most of my failures as a leader, not just in the military, but as in, in the business world and, uh, and in sports. And I was the captain of our rugby team in college. And and I look back now and I know I was a terrible leader. You know, I, I, I was respected and things like that. But you're right. People don't leave companies. They leave mainly in large part. I know this from reading dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of exit interview <laughs> transcriptions from, from the companies that I've built since I've been on the, out of the military. Uh, they leave because of primarily because of culture, communication issues, lack of. Uh, upper mobility in the organization, lack of professional development resources, uh, the managers they don't align with, leaders they don't see as having a real vision that connects with what the organization is trying to achieve. It's it's all always that stuff. It's almost never about compensation or some of those hard cost realities that you might think, oh, well, I'm not getting paid enough. It, it's, it's more so, especially with today's, like I said before, younger generations coming in, they need to connect with what the team is doing, what the organization is doing. They want to know their work matters and it's, it's applied to a bigger cause. And typically, you're right, people leave because of who they report to, almost always. It, 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 not, not in its entirety, of course, but it almost always has something to do with that. But when people are, are led and, and really inspired by the person they work for and work with, the, the, the retention goes through the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it, and retention, and this is m- more so maybe aligned with with businesses per se. But it's kind of an interesting um, fact-based data point that applies to a lot of organization is 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 lack of engagement and participation within within teams because of lack of trust for leadership. And so trust and accountability is a huge thing. It's one of leaders' most important responsibilities, and thus is the burden of command. 
But in most organizations, they lack trust for leadership and management or for peers. There's low levels of accountability, and those have a direct correlation to uh, to engagement and lack of engagement from uh, certain research and Gallup polls costs the United States upwards of $550 billion a, a year right. of lost productivity because team members don't feel like they're properly being led by their managers and leaders. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's scary. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask a question, and for the, those of you guys that you know normally listen to me, you know we we normally try to stay on the emergency management track because this is what we do here. Yeah. But um, this particular question is just about our veterans and um, some of the space that I've noticed. We have vets that are you know volunteering with organizations such as like Team Rubicon to go and do disaster response and talk to some of those guys and they don't they don't feel appreciated or used properly um, in their civilian jobs and there's a lot of frustration with those guys out there now um, there's another group that I'm involved with called warrior built and it's the same thing over there they come to the warrior built um, organization to feel that what we felt before in the military how can organizations specifically even like law enforcement which is in fire which is probably a little bit better than other places but they still have that disconnect what can we do to engage those vets that are coming out uh with great skills and uh great motivation but they just don't they don't can't feel it here what what can we do to make that better as you know, it's it's a huge topic now more than ever i mean we've got droves and droves of veterans entering the workforce, especially in the fields of uh, law enforcement, emergency management, first responding. And it's it's sort of a two-pronged strategy in, in my perspective. And I've worked with a lot of also living in San Diego, very much a military town. We've got, you know, the Special Warfare Center, Naval Amphibious Base, Naval Air Base. We've got Pendleton 30 minutes north of us. We've got a lot of veterans, obviously, entering the workforce every single day. And from the employee employer standpoint, it's working with employers, whether it be in law enforcement, emergency management, what have you. It's just trying to help educate them in business in general, educate everyone on the unique foundational skill sets that um, people who've worked in those environments have. And, and, and I had to learn this too as an, an employer, as, a, as an entrepreneur, uh, where you know I mistakenly always started trying to find uh, employees and new recruits that have the technical skills that I need, but not necessarily the foundational skills. And that's what coming out of the military have. They have the foundational skills of leadership, working in high stress environments, communication skills, uh, usually higher levels in my experience of higher levels of emotional intelligence and there, which, which has a direct correlation to, to success and upward mobility in any team or organization, um, because they're, they're more self-aware they understand how their actions, communications and, um, and behavior affects themselves and their, the team around them. And they can use that to their benefit and the benefit of the team. Um, whereas most organizations are still kind of scared of understanding that. And that's kind of true in a lot of, a lot of industries where they maybe not don't necessarily have great professional development programs or development programs to teach people those technical skills. But looking back now on the, you know, 10, 11, 12 years as an entrepreneur and building successful companies, if I could do it all over again, whether, whether I was building a business organization or a consulting practice or in, you know, in the 
law enforcement realm, I would have invested heavily in professional development programs to teach the technical skills that I need. But then I would just hire veterans <laughs> because, they have, because they have all the foundational uh, skill sets of leadership and communication and and um, and and even not just downward. But I think we do a better job now than ever before because we've had to transform in the military. We do a great job of encouraging upward management, right. upward leaders, and not just your old school downward command and control environment. I got to interview the author of Turn the Ship Around. Have you read that book, Turn the Ship Around? No, it's funny you mentioned that. I just saw it. I was looking at my own Amazon page today for my book that's coming out in February, but um, I have not read it, but uh, I, I know of the book, yeah. Yeah, he was a Navy commander. He might have, been, uh-huh. he might have made rank of camp that I don't, I don't recall off the top of my head. But he, he actually just re- sort of engineered the way you run a, a submarine captain says what it is and you know master and commander and you do it and he actually started the bottom-up leadership on those ships oh no boats i guess that he was running and it seemed to his retention was higher his um sure. the pass rate for for uh for sailors moving into petty officer and and up into chief uh was was the highest on his ships that he was running and it's it's that ownership that the that the lower guys you know get to buy into and at a general that i or he was a colonel at the time. He got promoted. Um, and I would have followed that guy into a burning paper bag if he told me that's where we're going because I knew he <laughs> had my best interest at heart, you know? Yeah. And you see a lot of people that are, are kind of, um, I don't know, I don't want to use the word half-assed, but you're, they're kind of half in it when they go into leadership. And, and it makes it really distressful for the people to, to not want to go that way, you know? And, and I, I understand where, where some people are coming. So on, on that vein of the servant leader, how, how do you get people to buy in? Well, it really comes down to uh, a few things. One is accountability and, and weaving accountability into the culture of your team. And to do that, you have to, uh, and to build trust, you have to give trust and you have to expect accountability. And to do so, you have to disseminate leadership responsibilities down the chain of command. You have to remove older hierarchical systems and replace them with networks and ecosystems of empowered frontline troops. Uh, so you have to create a culture of leadership, a culture of accountability, where risk-taking and decision-making is, is acceptable, knowing that mistakes will be made. But you use those mistakes as learning moments and, and move move forward. And what that does, and we do this in the military now, I think we, we've had to transform our culture and way of approach in this post 9-11 reality to fight a more decentralized enemy, we've had to become more decentralized. The same thing in today's higher performing civilian organizations. We have to disseminate leadership responsibility to uh, to our younger folks and to our frontline troops. But to do that successfully, you can't expect accountability unless you really invest in their development and training. Otherwise, you're setting them up for failure. Hey, so if, if anybody want to get a hold of you, how can we get a hold of you? Uh, my website is brentgleasonspeaker.com. So that's B-R-E-N-T-G-L-E-E-S-O-N speaker.com. And everything about my company, my organization, my new book coming out on February 20th, which is called Taking Point, a Navy SEAL's 10 Failsafe Principles for Leading Through Change. Uh, there's information about that on there. It can be pre-ordered now. But um, that's, yeah, that's my contact information. Awesome, Brent. So thank you so much for, for uh, being here with us today. And you know what? I'm gonna, I want to have you back in February, and let's talk about your book and um, how uh, people can get a hold of it right now. Pre-order it. I, I highly recommend it. And, um, yeah, I'd love to have you back in February. 
I'd, l- I'd love to join you. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be on here. And uh, thank you for your service as well, sir. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man.